You know, whether you recognize it or not, whether you really think about it or not, dwell on it or not, you are an influence in other people's lives. Now, I want you to pause and think about that because we don't often pause and think about that, that you're actually an influence in other people's lives, whether you want to be or not, because you are whether you do something or you don't do something, whether you say something or even by your silence. Whether, in fact, you think something because what you think or you believe will cause your actions, or whether you think differently than that. The reality is, you're an influence on people, for better or for worse. That's true of your children, your family, your friends, those who observe your life. Something as simple, I'll give you an example, something as simple as going to church on Sunday morning. That you bless other people by just being here because it's an encouragement. Well, most of you do. And the reality is, is that you are a witness to your neighbor. You're not conscious necessarily that you are trying to influence people, but you do. Because that's what happens When you say something, when you do something, when you don't do something, you don't say something. That's why Jesus says, because the crowd's gathering around him in his Sermon on the Mount. That's why Jesus says to them, because they're seeking Jesus with an open heart, because they want to learn from him, from his life, from his words, that by that mere fact, he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Just by that. And think about what salt does. Salt preserves. And that's what Christians are oftentimes invited to do in the world, to preserve life, to care for people, to care for those that are struggling, to preserve people's lives and their well-being. To cure. Especially back then, salt was used to cure meat. And we are meant to be a healing element in people's lives, in society. Salt is a spice. And I love to spice up people's lives and days. I really do. I mean, I don't always do it in the best way because I'm a real teaser and practical joker. But I love to see... Yeah, as Keith calls me, a jerk. I love to make people laugh, to bring joy to their lives. I really do. And that's what we're meant to do. We are meant to spread God's joy and love and peace. And when he says, you are the light of the world, that we're, we're meant to glow with his brightness, light brings life. You need light to have life. See? (laughs) That's life. What grows in darkness? Mold. Decay. And that's why we need to be light, to bring light. Jesus would later call 
the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes in Matthew 23 blind guides. In other words, they really don't recognize what they're doing, where they're going, and people that follow them are blind. They're in darkness, so to speak. And so we are to help people to see God's truth, God's light, God's way by our lives, by our words. Think about what you do because you have light. You can read, you can play, you can see other people. You can enjoy God's creation because there's light. And Jesus is making a point. He's saying, the fact that you are here, listening to me, opening yourself up to my word, right now you're being salt and you're being light because God is about to do something in you to use you in the culture around by the mere fact that you're here. And that's why he says that. Now I want you to keep that foundation in mind Because what I want to do now is I want to move to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And you need to understand Corinth, if you don't know Corinth. Corinth was an interesting city in so many ways. It was like a crossroads. And a lot of traffic, both foot traffic and ships, would be around Corinth. So it was kind of like a Las Vegas or San Francisco. It was a party place. Okay, there was a lot of fun, there was a lot of seeking of pleasure. It was kind of a free place, a free exchange of ideas because a lot of cultures came together. And so there would be this interchange and this exchange of culture and differences, significant differences. It was an artsy place. If you look at the different columns, the Corinthian column had some flair to it during that era. It had the Greek culture and a mix of Greek culture. Not like Sparta or Athens that was unique in and of itself. This city had a combination. And so what Paul was dealing with when he went there and then eventually wrote his letter was there was divisions in Corinth because of people choosing sides and party sides. But they really weren't seeking after the Lord as oftentimes happens. When the culture creeps in, A lot of times there's division and divisiveness. God would have us be reconciled. God would have us forgive. God would have us love. And learn what that means in relationships. And God would have us care for the community. So that was kind of Corinth. And so Paul is stepping into this situation and trying to say, look, our lives need to be different. Our lives need to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't be a reflection of the world. And so in the opening chapter, he kind of writes his greeting and he starts addressing the divisions. And then he reminds them of why he came in the first place. He said, I came to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with eloquent speech. I didn't come with the wisdom of the world. I came to preach Christ. In other words, he's saying at the most basic level of who we are and what we need as Christians 
is to identify with Jesus Christ and him crucified, that he died for us, in our place for our sin. That's the most basic need, that we are emptying ourselves of ourselves and we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed. That he said, I just want to know this among you. Now, it's interesting because Paul was a very bright guy. He was trained in the best secular schools. He was trained as a Pharisee. He was considered a rising star in the school of Pharisaism. This is a bright guy. And I mean, if you were to read Paul, a lot of Paul's letters are what we consider information about the early church and addressing the needs and the struggles and the challenges of our lives and the church. He was a bright guy. He could convey the truth to both Jews and Gentiles. Everybody. Because he was trained so well. He was a theologian. After his conversion, he went away for eight years at least, and he studied the Old Testaments again. He knew the culture. He knew the scriptures. And yet, it's interesting what his gift was. It wasn't speaking. At least that's what we can gather from scripture. Because later on in Corinthians, he would write, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to speak. But he was not known for his preaching. In Acts chapter 20, he's preaching in Troas. And as he's preaching and he's going on, someone gets so tired and bored, they fall out of the window and hit the floor. I haven't seen that yet here. That's a good thing. But Paul was not necessarily known for his speaking. He could share his witness. He does it a couple of times in Acts of the Apostles. And in other letters, it's compelling. His testimony is compelling. Let's take that to us, just for a second, all of us. It doesn't matter whether you have the gift of speaking or whether you're eloquent. Everyone can know Jesus Christ and him crucified for their lives. Everyone can empty themselves of themselves and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has and does that and has faith can share the Lord working in their life, their witness, their testimony. Everyone. And that's what Paul's saying here. He was young in his ministry. He was new to Corinth. He was unsure of himself as a speaker. And he went in and he said, this is what I can share. And he spoke the truth to them. And all of us can do that. It's really interesting, early in my ministry, some of you know this, I've told this before, but some of you are visitors, so I'm going to tell it again, that when I first was convinced I needed to go to seminary, and I first started in seminary, I remember talking to Meredith about my experience, and I was thinking I would go into being a pastor, an ordained pastor, and maybe even pastoral counseling, but I didn't really feel like my gift was public speaking. So I said to Meredith one time, I'm really concerned about my preaching, and she said, I know what you mean. (laughs) I was a Pittsburgh kid, middle class. I was not a speaker. The Lord had something else in mind, and we'll get to that in a minute. But that's what he does. 
When we're willing to step out, we're willing to seek him and follow him, we're willing to share. We're willing to share our testimony, what the Lord's doing in our life. We're emptying ourselves. He uses us. That's what he did with Paul in powerful, wonderful ways. And so he goes on to say, this is not about worldly wisdom. This is not about being a ruler of the age. And think about how our culture elevates worldly wisdom. It's like, what's important? Watch television. Education. Education is important. Being successful. Having position or power. Because we elevate those people. And so if they speak, they must speak in a powerful way, right? That's why politicians and companies solicit the use of stars. They must be bright. They must know what they're talking about. I mean, fame alone wins them that position. Does it? Does it really? I mean, are we that trusting of worldly wisdom? You know, we have this idea that we know better today, or because we're adults, because we're grown up, because we're mature, we can live a certain way, we can be a certain way, we can talk a certain way. We justify so much by worldly wisdom, worldly ways, instead of God's call on our life. I came to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And what life does He call me to? That's the question. See, when we begin to think it's about us and our power, our wisdom, our position, our education. And that's why Paul would say, you know, I was a Pharisee. I get that. Because I was in a position of power. I had education. But the reality is, what can creep in? Arrogance? Justifying immorality, rationalizing, because we're bright, because we can. Legalism, hypocrisy, where we play the game. What is it? What is it in our lives that we want to justify or rationalize or say it's okay? Instead of saying, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what does, what does the scriptures talk about? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the prophecies, I came to show you the way. But even more than that, to win you the way. Because it's not by our ego or our education or our personal willpower and righteousness, it's by the cross of Christ and his righteousness being imparted to us and us accepting him as Savior and Lord and being transformed. That's what it is. Emptying ourselves and be filled with the Spirit. That's what this life is about. And it doesn't take being a genius for that. It takes humility for that. Saying it's about Him. And His Spirit filling and changing my life. Paul goes on to say something really, really great. What no eye has seen or ear has heard that we can't, in our own human understanding, fathom or understand what he has in store for us. See, and I'm convinced 
that that's not just about heaven. I really am. I'm convinced that Paul is talking about, Scripture is talking about this life. This life. That what God can do with us and how blessed we can feel and how much we can be a blessing to other people merely by the fact that we empty ourselves. Going back to this whole preaching thing, you know, when I first started and I said to Meredith and we had that discussion, I had panic attacks for years. I struggled. But the Lord had something else in mind. He eventually was going to make me a preacher. Uh, You might not think so right now. It's okay. (laughs) But that was his plan. I didn't understand it. And the fact that he's taken me to different parts of the world boggles my mind. This middle class kid from Pittsburgh. And the fact that Paul says, I started off there with fear and trembling. I get that. Because that's how I started off. And every time I think about going to a place that's like other than here, I still get nervous. See, this is like a comfort zone for me. You know what I mean? Most of you know me. Most of you love me in spite of me. That's great. See, when I go to other places, I still get that little bit of nerves. I'm outside of my element. The Lord has seen fit to call me into three clergy conferences this summer in Tanzania that I'm going to be speaking at. I am not looking forward to it yet. I'm not looking forward to the travel. I'm not looking forward to being uncomfortable like I am when I go. I will love it when I'm there. Because I know what the Lord's going to do because he always does. You need to understand it's not always about your comfort your pleasure, what you want. It's about emptying yourself so that he can invade your spirit and invade your mind and heart and take you where he wants you to go in your life, in your holiness, in your ministering to other people. That is what he has in mind. So we can't conceive that. We can't understand that. We haven't really seen it in our, in our eyes, with our eyes, or heard such a thing with our ears because we don't put ourselves out there. That's really all he's asking you to do. Empty yourself. Put yourself out there. And you will see what God has prepared for you. And it blesses you. Sometimes you get exhausted. Sometimes you get hurt. Sometimes you get drained. He'll take care of you. He always does. Because the ultimate goal of what we can't conceive and we can't imagine and we can't understand is heaven. I mean, we think we get it. I don't think we really do. Perfect love. Perfect joy. Perfect peace. We get glimpses in this life. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to give us glimpses of his kingdom unfolding in our hearts and lives and in the lives of those around us because we're submitting to him, because we're emptying ourselves, because we're open to his power working in our lives, not the worldly power. 
His wisdom working in our hearts and minds, not worldly wisdom. And that's what he was saying to the Corinthians. You are used to pursuing the world, the world's ways, the world's understanding. You're used to it. And so what happens when you do that? Division. Struggles. Immorality. That's what happens. I came to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. A stumbling block to the world. But the power of God working in us. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to just close your eyes before we move into prayer, just for a second. I want to read a couple of scriptures that talk about this in different ways. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in every good work. So that you may do his will. Working among you that which is pleasing in his sight. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously, ungrudgingly, and will be given to you his wisdom that passes human understanding. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. You know, I want to say one more thing. If you think, if you think that me or any other person who stands up here is better than you, you're wrong. I'm a regular person. I know standing up here in a dress, it doesn't look like that. I recognize that. But I'm a regular person. I don't see myself as any better than anybody else. This is not about a position. This is not about better than. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. I have responded to God's call. I have a role in the church just like every person is meant to have a role in the church. Because that's what the body of Christ is all about. And what we all need to do every day is to open our hearts to him, our minds to him, Just like the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus begins, he says, you're blessed. And because you're here listening to me and open in your hearts, 
You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And then he gives a few more instructions in his Sermon on the Mount, probably a little shorter than this one. But that's because he wants to show you far more than you can ask or imagine in your life now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand that it is not about worldly wisdom or worldly ways or human power. That as you modeled by your life and your death, it's by emptying ourselves and being filled with your spirit and transformed by the power of your grace. Lord, we pray this day that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of all those who who are gathered here. For those who don't know you, that they would come to that understanding of Jesus Christ and him crucified for them. That it's by your love and grace that we are made perfect. That we are made whole. Lord, pour out your spirit this day. Open our hearts and minds that we would know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.